Growing soya beans can be risky, but Humzanzi's farmers say it's worth it considering the profitable turnover. And this week, we share a guide to get started. Now, it may not be an issue for home gardeners, but powdery mildew on tomatoes is a headache for commercial food producers and agriculturists growing their crops in greenhouses. AECI Plant Health joins us to identify it and ways to treat this common threat. Now, the recent ravaging floods in KwaZulu-Natal have left many farmers vulnerable. Mzanzi's cane growers were not spared, losing more than 250,000 hectares of cane with extensive crop and root damage, requiring massive replanting to bring them into production again. We're joined by the Chief Executive Officer of the South African Cane Growers Association, Dr. Thomas Funke. Our book of the week is The Execution Factor, The One Skill That Drives Success by Kim Perrell. And our Farmer Tip of the Week comes from Leona Archery, CEO of the Agricultural Development Agency. This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi. And welcome to episode 125 of Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu. Let's get straight into that promised guide to starting a soya bean farm in South Africa. Nicole Ludolf chats to Mpumalanga soya bean and maize farmer, Dani Bester. Thank you so much, Dawn. Dani, can you tell us a bit about how you became a soybean farmer? I went to Orchestrum to the Agricultural College there and I finished my studies there and then I joined my father here on the farm 15, 16 years ago. As the time went on, yeah, we were fortunate to grow in the farming operation. I farm with maize and soybeans and sunflowers and then we have the beef herd component as well on the farm. The soybean farming. Can you tell me a bit about how you got into that? Was that something that your father had started or was it something that you had started on the farm? My father, he was one of the first guys that planted soybeans in those years. Those years, it was really something that was not that common. But I remember even from that young age, the improvement that we had in the soil and also the corn following soybeans was doing so much better. We turned the rotation between sunflower or maize for a few years because the herbicide control on the soybeans wasn't as easy as it is today. Because those years, we didn't have any glyphosate or any other options to control weeds. Everything had to be done mechanically. The gene pool that we had to select varieties from wasn't as great as it is today. So it was a bit of a challenge. I think in 2002, I told my father, I think it's time to go back to the soybeans. You can't go monoculture in farming. That is not a good practice, according to me. You have to mimic nature and you have to go to different species. You have to go and do different crops that you have to do. You mentioned that you practice regenerative farming and you say that you don't do monoculture. You have to mimic nature. Is your farm entirely regenerative or are you slowly putting regenerative practices into place? Yeah, we're taking it step by step. We're doing a, a lot of cover crops every year, growing a few more hectares. And I started at the soils that was the most regenerated to improve the soil quality, just to bring back soil life to the fields. And then uh, got the, the microbes and stuff going. Not a, a once-off quick fix. You do it and then it's over. It's a cycle that you have to, to build on. So it does take a lot of planning and management. How many soybean varieties are there in South Africa? If I have to give a quick number, I think there will be easily an excess of about, I think, 50 plus varieties. Which variety you farm with on your farm? I'm a firm believer in the genetics that we're receiving from Argentina and Brazil. They are leaders when it comes to soybean production, so we get a lot of genetics from them. So I'm a believer in the Don Mario genetics. 
on my farm, they do give me really good yields. What is the soil that these South American varieties prefer? A lot of guys ask me that question and then I'll just tell them, listen, it's easy. You just need fertile soil. Something like the and farming comes in. With all the different soil types, you just have to find the right variety that is suited to your production model and the soil types that you have. Because if you've got sandy soils that's got a lot of nematodes, then you have to find a variety that has got some resistance to nematode infection. Whereas if you've got higher clay soil where nematodes aren't that big of a problem, you don't need a variety that has any nematode resistance to it. If you've got soils with good drainage, soybeans don't like too much water because of the rhizobium that that has to do some nitrogen binding. What is your biggest challenge as a soybean farmer in South Africa? That is dependent on the amount of oxygen in the soil as well. The deeper the soil, the better. Are there certain climates that soybeans prefer? You don't want really hot days. Soybeans, they will abort all of their flowers and some of their pots. The temperatures get too high. So you don't want a climate that is very high with high temperatures and dry. On the other side, you don't want too cool and too humid type climates as well, because then you'll run into high disease pressures. Everybody prefers the middle, but then again, yeah, it comes back to, you know, the weather between 23 to 28 degrees Celsius. I don't actually know when the planting season and the harvesting season for soybeans are. Can you clarify that for me, please? In my area, in the central Eiffelt area, we usually start anything from the middle of October. You have to wait for the soil to warm up. You have to get to at least 16 degrees Celsius, 18 degrees even better. If it's below that, then it's going to cost you yield. But we'll start to harvest any time from the middle of March. Some of the later varieties will start first week of May. What is your biggest challenge as a soybean farmer in South Africa? I think the whole process is a challenge by itself. But I think the weather, you know, the weather is the biggest challenge that we have. Because if you start planting the beans, you know, you have to plant into warm, moist soil. So you have to wait for rain. If you plant dry, you're not getting a good yield and not a good stand. You have to get a good stand established. And then the beans need to grow. And when they start to flower again, you don't want those hot days. You don't want those cold days, you know. So it comes back to rain. The biggest challenge also to harvest those beans. My father always told, before you start planting your beans, make sure that your combine is already gone through and is ready to harvest. Soybeans, when they dry down, they need to be harvested. If you wait too long, the pots will shatter and you'll lose a lot of crop. You can lose all of your crop if you don't harvest them in time. And also, usually the harvest problem is either your combine and or the weather that's not permitting you to go into harvest. So the weather always has the final say when it comes to soybean production. What would you say is the biggest reward? As soon as you go to the following maize crop that follows the soybeans, you get some extra nitrogen credits from the soybeans that they bind through the nodules that they have. You can reduce your fertilizer, amount of nitrogen fertilizer on your following crop. You're getting about, let's say, 20 to 30 kilograms of free nitrogen from your soybeans. And apart from that, your soil tilth improves so much by soybeans that it'll actually loosen the soil for you in a big way because of the fact that it's got a taproot. And if you've got any diseases on your maize and stuff like that, you break that cycle as soon as you bring in the soybean. I think it's one of the best crops that you can have in a rotational system because it's actually, it is easy to plant. You don't have any special equipment. Usually the only special equipment you need is just to harvest it. You need a header for soybeans, but you can use the same prayer, the same tractors, the same planter that you already have. You know, So it's actually an easy crop to bring in, into your system. The prices and the yields that we are getting out of it today, it makes it worthwhile. Do you have any additional tips or pieces of advice for aspiring soybean farmers? If you experiment, start on a small scale. 
get as much information as you can and never ever believe everything that the first guy that comes to you tells you. Every guy wants to sell you the product that he sells. Talk to guys that's got a lot of success with it and when you're trying stuff, do it on small scale. When it comes to soybeans, don't just buy seed from anyone. Make sure that you start out with good quality seeds with a high germination factor and start out with a clean seed bed. Soybeans don't want any competition when they're small. And if you do those things right, then you're set for big success. Thanks, Nicole. And it's always great having an expert voice with us. That is this week, Dani Bester, soya bean and maize farmer in Umpumalanga. Now for that promised discussion on powdery mildew on tomatoes. We're joined by Dr. Andre Siliers, the marketing manager for AECI Plant Health. Dr. Siliers, powdery mildew on tomatoes attacks the plant's foliage and stems. Could you explain what happens to the plant? Well, yes, powdery mildew on tomatoes is a particularly aggressive disease. What it does to the plant is it actually destroys the leaf almost completely in some cases, which of course reduces photosynthetic capacity of the plant, which affects yield and so on. And the other thing that it does is often the taste of the fruit that is produced is affected because of this, because of the non-photosynthetic leaves. So that is basically the biggest effect that the disease has on tomato plants. Now, what are the factors that lead to tomatoes succumbing to powdery mildew? Well, the factors that lead to infection by powdery mildews, actually there are two of them in South Africa that have been identified, are pretty much the same as most diseases or foliar diseases of plants. The infection occurs under conditions of moisture on the leaf and, of course, develops under those conditions. Now, the danger of powdery mildew on tomatoes is that, that it develops very quickly and under different conditions. So even though it's dry and not moist as at the time of infection, one does get a spread of the disease. However, it does develop best under moist conditions, which are the same conditions that infection occurred under. What are the symptoms new farmers should be aware of to identify it in their crops? The symptoms of powdery mildew are pretty much as the name suggests. It's a white powdery uh, fungal growth on the surface of the leaves and lesions and symptoms will develop about a week after the spore has landed on the leaf under the conditions that are described just now of moisture. Within a week that lesion can develop and the danger of powdery mildews are that they produce many spores in a short period of time, meaning that infection actually spreads very quickly. And then very important, how is it spread and how can it be prevented? the disease is spread by wind. So the spores that have developed on a leaf will be spread by wind. The blowing of wind in a field, which is obviously something that occurs everywhere, does distribute the spores. And if the conditions are correct, you'll find a new infection taking place. And as we mentioned earlier, within about a week, you'll start seeing the symptoms, that that powdery fungal growth on the top and the bottom side of the leaf. And that's the way the infection spreads. And then finally, treatment. Is it a total loss when farmers discover the fungus on their crops? Fortunately, ACI Plant Health has got some very good products to combat the disease. So the crop will never be completely lost if you follow a few basic guidelines and use certain products. The products from ACI Plant Health are Kung Fu, which is a copper-based product, very effective. Chloroflow, flowable sulfur also works, which is exactly what it is. It's a sulfur in a flowable form. And then Alexin, which is a stress product. As with many diseases, and including this one, you find that the disease develops best under stress conditions. So when a plant is stressed, infection is basically far easier and it's promoted. So if you can reduce the stress that a plant is under, you will also be able to control the disease better. And Alexin is a very interesting product. It actually primes the plant 
for infection and increases the plant's natural defense mechanisms, which obviously reduces stress within the plant. So that's a very good product to use up front. One should start your fungal disease, your powdery mildew control program early so that you prevent the disease from coming in. All of this information is indicated on the labels of our products. I'm going to mention them again. Kung Fu is a copper hydroxide. We've got chloroflow. We've got flowable sulfur. And then the stress product, Alexin, very useful to use before the infection occurs. Thank you so much for joining us here on Farmers Inside Track once again. Dr. Andre Siliers, the Marketing Manager for ACI Plant Health. Now, from plant health to climate change and the implications on agriculture, we've all seen the ravaging floods in KwaZulu-Natal that left many farmers vulnerable. Mzanzi's cane growers were not spared. The Chief Executive Officer of the South African Cane Growers Association, Dr. Thomas Funker, joins us now to talk about the ripple effects of the devastation and their recovery plans. Now, you've surveyed over 300 sugarcane growers after the floods in KZN. Let's start with the breakdown of the damage to farmers in this region. It's been devastating. What we've seen is total hectares destroyed. And so with the unrest, your cane got burned and growers were either able to harvest it, take it to the mill still and get some form of income. But in this instance, we've seen landslides of hectares where the entire crop and the roots have just been washed down the hill very often into rivers and they eventually end up in the sea. So complete destruction, two and a half thousand hectares have been hit by this impact. And we've calculated in all instances, there was mature cane on those fields. So we've added the cane price to that. And then obviously the cost of the replant for the roots, which works out to around 36,000 rand a hectare. So the total damage to date, and the tally is still counting, is around 195 million rand just for the crop loss. And then on top of that, we've got farm infrastructure that was severely damaged. In our survey, the growers came back and said roads, bridges, buildings to the value of about 28 million rand have been destroyed. So a big impact, and this excludes any public infrastructure. So this is really just on-farm and the impact on-farm. Dr. Funker, I was looking at all the pictures, all the videos, all the footage from this side in the Western Cape, and my heart was sore just thinking about it. And then just you relaying it now. Like you mentioned, a number of local roads, bridges were also washed away. What is the impact on farmers who need to obviously access these routes for farm inputs and for agricultural workers to travel to these farms to continue the work that needs to go on to be able to do the work that farmers need to do? What happens now? What's the situation? In terms of the total area under sugarcane in South Africa, we've got about 384,000 hectares. So 2,500 of that number doesn't sound like a lot, but it was very concentrated, number one. And number two, the public infrastructure leading to and from the farms has been severely damaged. So that means that growers will be suffering financial losses because they actually can't get their sugarcane off the farm to the mill. Everything's done by road transport in the area that's been affected. That's our big worry that these farming enterprises that employ 65,000 people in total in the total industry, but very concentrated here on the North Coast and the South Coast, will suffer huge losses. And not to mention so many small-scale growers that still haven't been able to get off their farms because of this impact. So 
The rural infrastructure is under pressure as it is. And that's really our concern. And Minister Dadiza doing site visits and actually seeing the damage. And we're pleading with government to act quickly and be able to restore this infrastructure to and from the farm so that you know, the businesses, the small-scale growers can continue to deliver their crop to the mill and earn an income. No, definitely. I think the ripple effect of this will continue to be felt over the next while. I think that's definitely something that we need to take into account. Obviously, you made mention of it in your introductions when I asked you the first question about just giving us a breakdown of the damage, that these floods happened just as farmers started recovering from the riots and the arson attacks that took place in July last year. What are the implications of this? KZN, it's just been tough. What happens now? A lot will depend on how swift the response is to the crisis. So what I've heard was that there's a plan to bring in metal bridges because concrete bridges and to rebuild that obviously takes a long time. Just to go out to tender, you need to get engineers, you need to get the right price and source the materials and then only action it. So there is a plan apparently in place that will result in metal bridges being temporarily erected on many of the routes. And hopefully that is something that can be actioned sooner rather than later so that access is available. I just don't want to sound like I just worry about the farmers. I mean, that's for the communities, also the farm workers. Everyone that survives in rural KZN needs to get out of their houses or their farms to buy food, to get water, etc. Once this economic activity returns, we can then focus on the longer term plan of actually restoring that infrastructure. So for us, the immediate challenge is to action infrastructure that might just be temporary in order to get that economic activity restored. Just in terms of the farmers, you now need to bounce back from the setback. You mentioned some of the immediate things that needs to happen now, but what are some of the other things that we need to be focusing on in terms of a recovery strategy and a turnaround from this point on? For now, it's survival to really get back into your business to make sure that the crop that you have left gets ripened accordingly and cut and harvested and into the mill so that your cash flow can be restored. And then after that, the bigger picture, I think, is around climate change and how do you mitigate against disasters like this? Riots, I think, are one thing, but natural disasters are completely different phenomenon to deal with. And we need to have our arms set up in such a way that perhaps the infrastructure isn't that fragile. We need to ensure waterways are appropriately lined that when the rivers come down, it doesn't wash away too much soil. And saying that, I think it's easy to say that the amount of rain that fell in those 24 hours is just phenomenal. It is in line with the Des Moines flood in the 80s, and you can't cope, and I guess you can't prepare for such an event. But in saying that, I think we need to be ready that in future there might be more heavy downpour events, and we need to ensure that our infrastructure is able to withstand that. No, definitely. And this is where my final question would come in around practical advice for farmers when it comes to ensuring that they deal with the devastation like this and some of the preventative measures to prevent further loss and better recovery in the likelihood of this happening again. Make sure that you know your roads are also in a good condition. As I said, it's easier said than done, especially as the sugar industry has been under huge pressure recently. We had the riots before that, we had imports, all of that has eroded revenue and really put farmers on a tight financial situation. So going forward, we're hoping that we can recover this with the infrastructure in place and then work towards a more sustainable future, which 
may include other products other to sugar and molasses. Dr. Thomas Funke, if you can just share one last final tip for farmers. That you need to ensure your farming business is adequately covered from an insurance perspective and that the weather forecasts that you monitor and follow on an ongoing basis are as good as available because I think the element of surprise can also cause a lot of damage. If you're not ready for it, if you haven't prepared and suddenly it hits you, as was the case in KZN, the damage can be a lot more than you are prepared. And then just one final generic farmer tip for people who want to get into sugarcane production as a separate point. Sugarcane production is one of the most job-intensive agricultural commodities in South Africa. And we pride ourselves with that. You know, in rural KZN, there aren't any other economic activities. We 45% of the KZN aggregate GDP. So if you want to get into sugar, it is a good employer. So it does wonders for the rural community. Thanks so much for joining us. South African Cane Growers Association CEO, Dr. Thomas Funker. Next up, and before we let you go, our book of the week, The Execution Factor, The One Skill That Drives Success by Kim Perrell. To working at my kitchen table, to being an entrepreneur, to then wanting to invest in other individuals to help them achieve success. Those companies have sold to leading brands like Apple, Intuit, Singtel, and Tinder. I wanted to share with others what I had learned. And I asked myself of these companies, what made them different? What makes a successful people different than anyone else? And I started to realize these people have one thing in common, one thing. And it's what I like to call the execution factor. This doesn't sound very sexy, but that's okay. Execution, an idea is only as good as how well you can execute it. I see dozens of ideas a week. A lot of them look the same. And I believe that execution is a skill that can be learned. You can learn it. And I'm here to help you learn it today. So did everyone get a card on the way in? This card has five traits on the back because there's five essential traits that you need to know to master execution. First is vision. Second is passion. Third is action. The fourth is resilience, and the fifth is relationships. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. Right through all departments and companies within the VKB Group, we know that farming is not just a job. It's a way of life. Let VKB help you in all aspects of the food value chain by efficiently reducing costs and optimizing value. Follow VKB on Facebook or vkb.co.za to find out how VKB can help you. VKB, for the love of the land. This sounds like a book I'll definitely pick up. Now remember, if you'd like to review a book for us, or perhaps you have a book suggestion, feel free to email us on info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Next up, our Farmer Tip of the Week comes from Leona Archery, the CEO of the Agricultural Development Agency. There is ways of using or aggregating smallholder farmers, even in the fruit production side, and getting them into sort of a critical mass that allows them to access the right market. And then on the herb market and the other niche commodities, I mean, even in vegetables, if one thinks about just planting the normal things like spinach or cabbage, yes, you know, that begins to bring you in income in a short space of time. But the herbs themselves are very highly profitable, not difficult to grow, can be grown in small spaces. 
But again, in the packaging, you know, of your bigger retailers, etc., your McCain's and all of those areas, there's a bit of vegetables that sit in some of your stir fries, etc., that have not been fully exploited by our South African growers at the moment and are currently being imported into the country. So how do we tap into that space? And that's where the issue of market research, understanding the environment that you want to get into is very, very important because there are those opportunities as well. And our Farmer Tip of the Week from Leona Archery, CEO of the Agricultural Development Agency, brings us to the end of another exciting episode. Remember, if you loved this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. And don't forget to follow us on social media. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, as well as our weekly sessions on Twitter spaces called Gather to Grow. And then, of course, our sister publication, foodforafrica.com, where we share inspiration and news from across the continent. Now, from me, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludolf, and our producer, Megan van der Fendt, and the rest of the Food from Zanzi team, have an awesome week. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans, though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.